the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. George Brockler filling in for the great Peter Boyles here at 710 KNUS. From time to time, you have heard this upcoming VIP voice before. Uh, right now, it's important because there is so much going on. And I think that sometimes when uh, we're at 710, I'm going to go ahead and confess this. We may be a little right of center. I don't, I'm not convinced uh, entirely. I still feel like we are largely unbiased, but maybe, maybe we're a little right of center. And it's good to have folks on to help give us the tea from the other side of the fence and to also give some perspective to some of the other events that are going on out there right now. Very proud to have on the line Ted Trimpa. Sir, thanks for joining us. Oh, happy to be here, George. Uh, I understand, by the way, you are in a warmer climate. Uh, yes, I am. I'm in Miami, South Beach. For so something good or just hanging out? Uh, work. I'm just literally here 24 hours, like in I <laughs> Still, that's a great gig, even if it's only 24 <laughs> hours. Um, now, I had texted you back during after the uh, assembly this weekend, and I know other counties have their assemblies, but most of the big ones were done this past weekend. And you said something that made me laugh out loud, which is I went to an assembly before and promised I would never, ever do it again, and I've stuck to my word, which is great. Um, but you are somebody who has the kind of experience and, and knowledge of the politics piece that you can appreciate the outcome of those assemblies and how they might impact what goes on the ballot in June and ultimately in November from the Democrat side of things. Was there anything that you learned of that you thought was either eye opening or worth uh, commenting on from the big assemblies for the Dems? Uh, no, but I have to tell you, George, I wasn't that close to it. I, it's like state conventions where I, you know, I see them and then I run the other way. <laughs> um, you don't like being on the floor, huh? Well, no, and it's just it, it's, it's a process that's antiquated in many ways, um, and I'm not for sure it really is indicative of kind of what the party as a whole feels. Um, but there are a lot of people on the ground. This is what they love to do, and it's like this thing. So I'll, I'll give them credit for it. Well, I, I think that's undeniable that each of the parties, the Republicans and the Dems. Those people that show up as your activists, those people who are willing to give you a Tuesday evening and ultimately a Saturday day with the hope of going on to another Saturday day, those are people who are not your middle-of-the-road typical Republican or Democrat. They are further out on the extremes. That part is true. But they do have the ability to sort of guide, if not dictate in some cases, who's going to be on the ballot. Uh, Were you aware of any surprises that came out in terms of candidates for offices, or was it pretty much what you expected? It's pretty much what you expect. I mean, a a lot of it is is that the left has, you know, a a lot of growing power. And I, I said for a few years, oh, that's not the case. That's not the case. That's not the case. And it is the case. Um, And I think that we Democrats have really got to be smart about what we're doing, um, because we are going to woke ourselves out of power. We don't. We don't watch it. That's an interesting phrase. I like that. When you look at the same polling that I do, I can tell you on the on our side of the fence, and you can hear it on talk radio, you can see it at the lunches, 
Republicans are feeling the bat, the wind at their back. They're feeling like this November is going to be an opportunity in Colorado. And I don't think they're crazy. I mean, it's not like we're going to turn the state red again. I don't ever think it'll go that way. But in terms of recapturing offices or being competitive for these seats or maybe changing a little bit of the dynamic in the legislature, there's a real sense that this is going to be a Republican year. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I do think it's going to be a Republican year. And I think that the challenge that we Democrats have is that we're creating off of a cliff and we think we're flying. We're actually dropping like a rock. Um, and I think we've got to figure this out really because, you know, relatively quickly. I, mean, I don't think it's too late, but um, I just, it, too, I know you've used this before on a couple other shows. There's just too much hubris, you know, in our world. And that, that kind of stuff comes back to haunt you. Now, do I think it's going to be this overwhelming, you know, Republican sweep? No. Um, do I think that there's a shot that the Republicans can take the state Senate back? Yeah, I think I think Democrats should still win it, but I think there's a really good shot that they could. Now, there are some who think they can take the state house back. I don't, I don't buy that. Um, but but narrow yeah, the gap. But but possibly yeah. Well, I mean, we in the last election cycle, or was the one before, uh, we won seats that we didn't even expect to win. I mean, we won seats that we you know from the, you know, the soft side, the independent table that I talked about before in races that we put no money in, zero. And it was purely just the candidates on, them, on their own, uh, one. And there is that, you know, in, a, in a, a typical year, we shouldn't have won. So I think we some some of the seats we're going to lose. And that's just from a normal adjustment back, not even because it's I a, a wave year. Now, the, the thing is I don't know, because um, I haven't taken a close look at it, is the new maps. Because, you know, the lines have been redrawn. Um and I don't think there's, I don't think there's like huge changes to it, um, but there's some, you know. So there, there are a couple um, suburban seats that like Democratic that I was surprised that you think are going to go back this year, maybe a Republican. Yeah. yeah. Um, let me ask you: How much of what is going to take place in Colorado on the ballot is dictated by? national issues versus state and local issues. And I know the old Tip O'Neill thing and the whole, hey, you know, all politics is local. And there's some truth to that. But do you get the sense, though, that what's going on with the economy and with Ukraine and with Biden and everything else is going to have a bigger impact on the ballot here? Depending on what the measure is. I mean, if it's a tax measure, um, you know, anything related to taxes, you know, those people that are you know, pushing the tax cut, something like that. Uh, they definitely got the wind at their back. That's for sure. How about um, candidates? Did you? Are you smoking something? And you don't have to admit it here. We can go off air if you want to. In Florida, it may be legal now. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> this is exactly why. You, this is why you do gummies because you just you know set fire to gummies. <laughs> That's a. If you end up going out in cuffs, can you hand the phone to an officer so that we can continue to talk to you? Yeah, I know. Well, I'm sitting. <laughs> I, my room has a little bathroom, so you still hear it? Uh, I can hear it a little bit, yeah, like constantly. But <laughs> it's barely noticeable in between syllables. It's barely. <laughs> um, is it, I, don't, I don't know what to do. Does it sound like it's a floor-wide thing, a building-wide thing? Hell, th- this may be. We may be breaking news right here. What's the name of the hotel, and is it on fire? <laughs> I mean, is it, are you safe? Wherever you're at, are you safe, Ted? 
Skagit, yeah, it's fine. Okay. Uh, it's the host's home. Listen, I don't mind continuing to have the conversation because this is just real life, man. We're, you know, this isn't some kind of groom scripted thing. This is just how the sausage gets made. And I don't get to talk to you enough, right? Like you haven't had a Halloween <laughs> event. I've been out of your house in a couple of few years. Um, well, I tell you, you're going to have to come quickly because we're selling it. So. What's that? You're selling your house? house? Yeah. No. What? We're going to um, have this place. Look, you know, it's Rocky's job in New York. The Fox. I know. It's going really, really well. So we're going to buy in New York and rent in Denver. Unbelievable. That is a that is a big, momentous change for you. How long have you been in Colorado? Oh, uh, 1985. A couple of years, yeah, and I know the Gutfeld thing is going great, great gangbusters. I, I and I, yeah, I mean, are ratings are off the charts. I, I mean, think I, it's fantastic. It's great for him. I, it's, I think it says something about our country, which is a little frightening. But yeah. <laughs> it's not good for Colorado that you guys are selling. And depending upon the price, no, I'm kidding. I can't move there. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, what I was going to ask you about is with the, this national thing, and you said it could impact some ballot issues, whether it's taxes or something else. What do you think about with candidates? Oh, I definitely think so. I mean, I, I, I think it could affect Bennett's race. Well, um, let me ask you about that. Do you think Bennett's race is in play? Is he vulnerable? Um, I don't know if I would say vulnerable, but, you know, we've really got to make sure that, at least in our land, that we're putting some effort into it. Because I, I don't think his numbers right now are as strong as they should be. No, they're not good numbers at all. Yeah. But, of course, running against a generic Republican is one thing. Running against an actual named person is entirely different. When you look at the field of Republicans, in, in your opinion, Ted, who would be the most formidable opponent to Bennett and who would also be the one that helps guarantee he gets reelected? Well, first of all, I don't even know who all the people are running on the Republican side, which says something. Yeah, that, that's true. <laughs> but, you know, there really hasn't been a ton of money spent on people other than Republicans. So. You know, and, and no offense to your party, but um, as of late, you guys haven't really put up the best candidates. Um, you know, I mean, is that Ron Hanks guy still in the race? I mean, oh, he's in the race. Good. And if you asked me to predict, I'd say the guy could win the assembly. That's frightening. That's frightening. But does that help, in your opinion? Does that help Bennett? Oh, it helps us. Oh, it helps us. Yeah. Can we talk you about know, some other names, too, in other positions? First off, well, is... Republicans, well, I mean, Republicans just need to get their act together. If you guys got your act together, you guys could beat us. Huh. What does I mean, that mean, get your act together? Um, figure out who your party is, who you want it to be. You know, find candidates that actually would appeal to you know the broader electorate in Colorado and not just that slice of Trump supporter and not... Literally, Trump supporters. It's just, it's, you know, there's a slice out there of Trump supporters, which the Republicans is a lot of people, and then, you know, on the left, there's a slice of people that are, you know, far left supporters. It's not as many as they think there are, um, but they, but it does exist. You bring up a good point. We saw in 2018, I felt it personally, and in 2020, that running against President Trump paid dividends here in Colorado. Will it work again? Two years removed? No. That's not going to no, be. An I, issue. I, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, I think the big issue is going to be uh, inflation, the economy. I mean, people are understandably flipping out. You think about how much you pay for gas, and you can't just say it's because Ukraine. Oh, no. blame Ukraine, blame Ukraine. No, it's not Putin's I, I, inflation. Yeah, I don't think people are going to buy that. Now, also, did you see this thing? Property taxes are projected to go up twenty to thirty percent. What? <laughs> I mean, I, which is 
outrageous when you think about what we already pay. Yeah, another reason to sell. You guys are going to sell at the top of the market. I have, Good to, tell you. Though, I have to tell you, though, taxes in New York. Oh, oh. God. <laughs> Good point. Good point right there. Can I ask you about some individual offices? We just talked about Bennett's. But do you think that Governor Polis is vulnerable? And if not, could he be? What would it take to get him there? Uh, I don't think he's vulnerable. I mean, in, in any election, you've got to run like you're going to lose um, or run like uh, you're behind. He, Jared's a unique, unique person, a unique elected official, and it's going to be really hard to beat. And it's not just because he has his own money. That helps. Um, that does help a lot. Um, but he's – I think he's written a line on some issues that uh, it's really admirable, and it's – been politically smart. I mean, what he's done, and you can criticize some things, but what he did around COVID and the mass, and you know whether we had a mandate in the state, and when he started lifting, uh, you know, the, the business—not business ban, but keeping businesses open—that uh, was really smart. He was the first Democratic governor to start opening up the state, and I just think that he, you know, refusing to do the statewide mass mandate, saying, "Listen, you know, municipalities can do it, or counties can do it however they want." I think was really smart. I know his public health people weren't happy about that. Um, it would take a lot to put Jared in a spot where he's vulnerable. Interesting. And the other thing is you have Republicans standing up and saying he's doing a, a good job. You know, and you should be complimenting of your governor, but you know, if it's hardcore politics, the last thing your party should be doing is complimenting our governor. <laughs> We're talking with Democrat strategist and all-around good guy Ted Trimpa. Ted, when you look at the Republican field, to the extent that you know it, who do you think is the most competitive of the candidates out there? Uh, you, if you were in it. Um, <laughs> Thanks for saying that. Um, well, it's true. It's true. I, I appreciate um, that. I, I, I can't pull that together. But there's like Heidi, there's Greg Lopez, there's... Oh, what is her name? And it's escaping me now. The uh, oh, I can't remember her name. How about Heidi? What do you What do you think? Um, I mean, she's likable, you know, and she has some of her own money. Um, I just think I think part of the problem with with Heidi with Lopez is you know Heidi who there just there just isn't enough name ID being you know on the board of regents for um, CU because she is running right? she's a CU regent. Um, just because she's well known doesn't mean she has statewide name ID. I'd love to know what her name ID is. Yeah, no, that's, a, uh, that's a good point. Because I, I bet it's really low. And, and it's like, what can she do in order to get it up? I mean, Jared has to be really, really high. Oh, my gosh. I'll bet you his is number one in the state across the board. Um, Bennett's would be good, but not as good as Jared's, I'll bet. Um, I'll because bet. He, just hasn't been, he just hasn't been out there enough. You know what I mean? Like being a U.S. senator used to be enough. It's not enough. Um, but when you look further down the ballot, let's talk about this. How about the attorney general's race? Phil Weiser, John uh, Kellner. Yeah, Phil's a machine. And, you know, I think he's, um, he's kind of made for the job in a way. Do you think that, yeah. it, here's my thought is, I, I don't know, if, I haven't tested Phil's name ID either, but my guess is, not many people outside of, hey, I pay attention to politics, knows who Phil Weiser is. Is he susceptible to a move or a wave or something that's that's more Republican-friendly just because he's down-ballot a bunch? Sure. Sure, that can happen. He's also an incredible fundraiser. And whether it's here or in Hawaii or anywhere else, that dude can get people to write him checks. Undeniably one of the most prolific fundraisers in the state of Colorado probably ever. For a guy that's not in federal office. Yeah, I mean, in, yeah, incredible. It, it, 
it's uh, he's persistent in a friendly way. Well, that's just it too. I think his superpower is affability and putting people together in relationships. I don't know that it's yeah. anything else, he's, and I'm not trying to he's demean really him. Good about that. He's great yeah. about no, this. I, he's great about it. He's been great to work with. How about uh, how about Griswold? I, mean, I think you know she's she's really political. Yes, I, I, I agree. I think a lot of people criticize her for that. Um, and I know she gets criticism in the Democratic Secretaries of State circles for being too overtly political in a position that theoretically shouldn't be um, political. But given that, I think she's doing a good job. You know, I just I think she probably is a little bit difficult to work with because um, she's very focused on you know, certain things that she wants to do. And so I think that, um, I'll put it this way, she, she has, you know, came blazing onto the Democratic scene, and people weren't expecting it. It has built up a lot of respect and a lot of support from a lot of places. How big of a deal you will know? it be the things that, that, you know, we focus here on on talk radio and in some news outlets, and that is, She's had incredible turnover of staff. She had NARAL or somebody write her press release for some – those kinds of stories. How impactful are those as we head into November? Any, not at all, little bit? Not at all. I don't think people are going to care. If, if the Republicans nominate a Tina Peters, one <laughs> – d- d- well, see, right there you're telling me something – does that not only solidify Jenna's reelection? I'm just asking, but do you think it has a toxic effect on any other part of the ballot or a Coloradans discerning enough to say, hey, I'm not going to go that direction, but I'm going to vote for Kellner, that kind of thing? Um, I mean, I do think it would be toxic's too strong of a word. I do think it would affect elections because you would be having debates about things that you shouldn't. They're kind of a given about you know, the election system and what we have in Colorado and what happened you know, in all ballot. can go down a bunch of rat holes um, on some conversations that I don't think are going to be productive in terms of making it um, what an election should be. And I also think she's, you know, she's kind of a circus show. And I, I think a lot of that would become what the election is about. And, you know, it'd be great for Jenna, probably. You know, yeah, Julie was like somebody who's indicted, you know, for the Secretary oh, of State or, you know, that's a tough or, you know wherever she's going to be, you know, along the journey of committing crimes. Um, <laughs> yeah, she'd have to appear there. Laura, my concern is this, and that is for those people that are rallying to her defense. I feel like, Ted, you would be a voice that if Jenna were indicted by Beth McCann out of Denver for fill in the blank, you would say, Maybe it's time to leave the office. Maybe it's time to oh, yeah, not run for re-election. And yet here we are saying, no, 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 to, to pre- presumed innocent. She hasn't done anything wrong. She had a choice of evil. And I'm like, we, we would never tolerate that for Jenna Griswold. Never. No, no, no. Uh, I'd be one of the first people to stand up and say, don't. you got to go. Can I ask you, the 7th and 8th congressional districts, I don't presume you've studied the lines, but with Ed Perlmutter leaving the 7th and the presumptive for the Dems is Brittany Pedersen, any thoughts on that? I mean, given this year being a, a Republicanish year, do you feel like the seventh is ripe to go that way? I think it's possible. You know, the right candidate. I think it's really possible. Who would be a right candidate? You know, I tell you, but, you know, but Brittany, Brittany is a machine. She's 
she's a super hard campaigner, and she has been wanting to do this for a long time. You know, she had she had that campaign website, all that stuff ready to go. So the minute Ed said he wasn't running, it was like oh, yeah. boom. And yeah. she was off and running. Is and it, even Arash asked me that. He's like, isn't that kind of odd that she ends up the next day? And like, well, no, because she's had it ready to go for a few years. I mean, it's just waiting for the day Ed said he was done. It feels like the seventh, the way it is right now, this hyper-competitive, it could become the, this decade's sixth. Do you know what I mean? Like when someone yeah. talked to me about, hey, would you ever consider running for the seventh? And I don't even live in the seventh. I said no. But part of the conversation was, I, I'm not Mike Kaufman. I can't do a Mike Kaufman. I cannot run and fundraise 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That is not a life I want to live. And yet it feels like this is one that, depending upon who's in power in the White House and what the mood of the electorate is, it could bounce back and forth R&D over the next 10 years. It could. It could. Depending on the environment. So I think I, and I have to go back and take a look at the numbers. I still think it's um, lean Democratic seat. I don't know if it's, what, a plus two, plus three. But um, if in the right environment, it definitely could be held by a Republican. Any thoughts? Particularly given where the lines are drawn. Any thoughts um, on the 8th district. Congressional District, the the one right next door? Ooh, the, that's going to be a hot one. That's going to be a hot one. I mean, you've truly, got truly competitive. five Republicans. I can't even tell you who the Democrats are running for, but five Republicans vying for it. And and none of them are crack smoke crazy. I mean, they all have a legitimate claim to be able to be that person. There are some that have, have government experience, some that don't. But I don't know. I, I, that one, to me, in this year, guessing Republican. But I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I would guess Republican, just given the environment. Um, but also, in, in part, will depend. I mean, this is obvious as to who you know we Democrats nominate. Yeah, you know, because with two leads, um, Caraveo is a current state legislator, and then uh, Charles, kind of forgetting Charles, last name, um, in Adams County. I think he's Adams County Commissioner, if I remember correctly. Uh, I think Labor is supporting him. You know, either one of them. I know Caraveo, she's a machine when it comes to campaigning and raising money. Um, but I don't know what Charles is like. We're talking with Ted Trump, a Democrat strategist and super smart guy, and apparently about to be a renter in Colorado. Um, <laughs> when you look out west, and there are a lot of folks here that you can imagine, listen to 710, who are big fans of Lauren Boebert, and yet we see that there is so much focus between Kyle Clark and Nine News and everybody else on you know, she's like our state's Marjorie Taylor. That's what they're trying to make her out to be, whether she is or not. Uh, which isn't fair. Which isn't fair. Yeah, yeah. Is she vulnerable? No. I don't think so either. Now, our our, our world loves to think that she is. But gosh, can you imagine? She just said this. And I can't believe she did that. Right. She, you know, screamed during the President's State of the Union. It's like, okay, yeah, and, yeah, right. and. Right, and she so, has she has been a prolific fundraiser as well. I think she's number one on the R side. Just, I mean, it just it, I mean, the, the one bit of advice, you know, it's, it, they get listen to me, which I highly doubt that they will. Um, they haven't had my husband talk to her because we talk all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, is, I, I think we were all together at your house. There it is. I say we're all together at your house, and you pull the fire alarm. Was this like distraction? Don't don't talk about that. Don't talk. <laughs> don't talk about the fundraiser. Do not talk about the. Fu- hey. um, so no, but I think that I think she's an opportunity to use her name ID and money to do something that's unexpected. Do something where 
another Democrat in the or do something with them. Uh oh, Ted, we're losing you just a little bit. We're losing you a little bit. You may be running from the flames. Is that better? Yeah, that's a little bit better. Yeah. Hey, uh, can I shift? Can I shift gears from politics real quick? Because we have some minutes oh, yeah. left, but but I want to ask you about this. The, there is a, a huge story that is really because it's a first of its kind kind of thing at this level. But this there's a person named Leah Thomas who's a transgender woman who was a swimmer for the University of Pennsylvania and ended up winning a Division I national championship in the 500-meter, I presume it's the crawl, the crawl stroke freestyle, something like that. Have you been following that, and what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I have been following it. Um, you know, I've, I've done uh, GLBT gay rights work, trans rights work for most of my life. A long time, yeah. Yeah, and my overview of it is it's, tragic that the discussion around transgender kids and transgender people is getting sucked into this controversy um, and it takes away the, the depth of what these issues are that we should be talking about that have nothing to do with sports um, because that's not what trans is about and those of us that work in trans rights, those people within the trans community, got to figure something out on the sports piece I mean, just to say that you are a biological male and identify as a female so therefore you can compete in all female sports isn't fair. And we've got to say, you know, look in the mirror. Who's in it fair to? And to the other kids. You know, so, I mean, I was talking to a parent. He's like, you know, so here's my daughter, and she's going to play field hockey. And you have a biological male to female, and she's playing field hockey with my daughter. And just biologically, she's bigger that age you know to to mow my daughter down and you know is that really fair to my kid and i don't think it is and i think that there has to either be some board that determines you know which sports that they can't compete in you can't have a biological male competing in women's sports and which sports you can or you say you can't but there, there has there has to be some rule some way to figure it out because what's happened with with Leah, whether it's true that this is how she identifies and this is who she is, um, you know, we have to respect that. Uh, it's not fair to the other women swimmers. It, just, it, it really isn't. And I get lambasted in the community for talking like this, but it's the truth. Because when you look at um, our numbers around acceptance of transgender people and, you know, should there be anti-discrimination laws so you can't fire them because they're trans, et cetera, our numbers are great in the 70s, in the 80s, in terms of support, the minute you bring up sports, our numbers drop like a rock. Oh, wow. And they, I mean, they drop like to the 30s. We're what, not... What do you say to the folks, though, who would, and I imagine you've heard this, who would say, but it's not fair to the trans kid to be deprived of playing sports in their gender. Do you know what I mean? Like, because there, there's, it's going to be unfair to someone. And how do you decide who to choose to be unfair to? Is it the smaller, the, and I'm going to use the term minority, lowercase m, minority uh, trans kid that you say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You just can't do that. Or, or is it the group of kids that you've described? And then the other thing that I had this conversation about on the radio was, is this really the beginning of the end of co-ed sports? There's a Professor Kuki out there out of P- Purdue, and I'm not saying Kuki to be, I mean, her last name is C-O-O-K-Y. I guess it could be Cookie, but I think it's Kuki. 
And she has said, hey, we've, we've really got to move away from all this gender bifurcation stuff and all this other stuff. Where do you go with this? I, I realize you say there has to be an answer. What do you think, Ted? What could be an answer? Well, I think, and this sounds like I'm punting, but the people who really understand trans and hormones and biology and you know, that have the bodies put together, what they need to figure out. We need to get some recommendations about what they would say. You know, are there sports where it doesn't make a difference? Yeah, like curling. You know, yeah, then then great. You know, go for it. But if there's sports that do, then somebody's going to end up in the short end of the stick, so to speak. But you can't disadvantage everybody else because of those one or two, three people. And I realize we're in a country that you protect the minority. Um, but at the same time, we're going to talk about fairness in sports. And it's just it, it's just going to be a reality of the situation because it, 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 it bluntly, just strategically, in terms of trans rights, it's not helping our cause by pushing it like we're pushing it. It's only making it worse. How much potential damage do you think this could do, given what you've talked about with the the polling and whatnot? Um. You know, I, th- I think it'll do some damage to polling. The thing I'm more worried about is, you know, that 12-year-old that is in, you know, a biological male body and, and identifies as female or that 14-year-old. Um, and these kinds of signals that are being sent and the jokes, I mean, just turn on, you know, oh, yeah. TV. Yeah, you're right and they're making fun of trans people. I mean, even a Russia show, which frustrates the living hell out of me. Yeah. Um, you know, they're making fun of trans people. I'm not saying they're not people but they really are yeah. and that that has a cooling effect you know you think you think of this poor kid who's like really trying to figure out who they are and they feel really strongly about it and then they see all these images that are basically mocking them and that's that's not good for people you know so we can talk about numbers and where support is i just get really concerned about you know the effect on individual kids and individual people because um, I remember the early, at least the early days of me being involved in gay rights and being around trans people and the conversations. You know, these are older men. It's like, you know, but I really identify as a woman. This is who I've been. Um, and they're really trying to do it, you know, and start to wear dresses and they have wigs. And, you know, they're trying the hardest and it looks like an old guy in a wig. Um, but that's who they were. Yeah. And... You know, we don't need to make their lives any more difficult than they already are. And in this kind of situation in sports and then how people are reacting to it is doing that. Ted, that 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 breaks my heart. I appreciate the sensitivity with which you deal with this and the fact that you admit there is not a there is no quick fix to this or easy answer. Um, One last question that doesn't touch on this or anything else, because we talked about it earlier in the show before you were ever listening. And that was there is a bill in Congress right now to amend the Fair Labor Standards Act to redefine the work week down to 32 hours a week instead of 40. Is that a winner, loser, thoughts? Um, I I think it's a bad idea. But then, you know, I grew up on a farm where we worked seven days a week. Right. So, you know, the, the concept of a 40-hour work week to me when I was growing up, I'm like, well, that's like the first four days of the week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good point. Um, and I, I get the need, you know, in you know, city lights and other industries, you need to have that. Like, it's important. I get all that over time. Um, but it, I'm not for sure I buy 
the O will be just as productive at 32 than we would be at 40. I just, I'm, I'm a little old, old fashioned when it comes to this. But yeah. do we really need to go to 32? Yeah. No, I like it. See, this is what makes you so credible. Is that you? You know, you don't. You haven't drank the Kool Aid. You won't go all the way, one way or the other. I think that's what makes you credible. And I think that's why listeners enjoy hearing you. I do. That's why I like talking with you. Bum to hear that you guys are going to relocate permanently to New York. Um, but that's man, good it's, point. I mean, I'll still be around. I'll still be around because I got I got to have a business in Colorado. Well, I want to. I want to rush to be back too. I want to hang out with that dude also. So anyway, yeah. Well, hopefully we get this lined up. He'll be back more. In the apartments we're going to have is down by Union Station, so I can just hop on the train. I just I'm going to I'm going to try to convince him to to let me have a walk on appearance on Gutfeld at some point, even if it's to just hand sure? someone a I'll, cup I'll of water. You know, just yeah, to be I'll like, here you go, Greg. Here's your here's your coffee. Uh, that would t- be fun to have you on, actually. Though it would be cool. Oh, it would just be so cool to do that. Ted Trump, a Democrat strategist, friend of the show, all around great guy, and currently in a Miami hotel on fire intermittently yeah. or something like that. So <laughs> thanks for joining us, buddy. Meantime, George. Thanks, Ted. See ya. Hey, that was Ted Trimpa. Um, happy, by the way, we'll come back. We got to cut away for a break. I went long with Ted because I, I honestly think Ted gives some great information to us. We've got some texts here from people on the boils wall that that sounded super depressing. I want to talk to you about what you heard and what you take away from that. Agree or disagree, all that kind of stuff. But until we can do that, we got to pay some bills. My name's George Brockler filling in for the great Peter Boyles right here. 710 KNUS. Clothing optional radio here at 710 KNUS. George Brockler filling in for the great Peter Boyles. We just had Ted Trimpa on. Ted, friend of the show, uh, good dude. I know that not everybody agrees with what he had to say, but uh, I appreciate his insight because it resonates with me from a place of, of candor. I'm not sure I agree with the outcome of all the races that he talked about. For instance, uh, with Phil Weiser, I agree completely. The dude is a fundraising machine that has been the focal point of his existence since he decided to run for office. Um, but I also think it isn't going to matter because I think the money that's going to show up on the other side to help John Kellner, either in terms of hard money, that's the money you give to a candidate or the soft money, which is the money that lurks out there in the darkness, um, is going to be more than enough to match. And I also think that, um, the wave year that we're seeing right now is going to swamp Phil. Just, he doesn't have the name ID. No matter how much he tries to spend settlement money on things that have nothing to do with the AG's office to try to encourage people in the rurals to support him, it will not change the fact that people just don't know who Phil Weiser is. Uh, I agree with him, too, that Polis seems to me to be less vulnerable. And maybe it's because he's shrewd, and there are definitely some positions he's taken, especially on some fiscal issues that make him seem less than left wacky, which is what's going on under the Gold Dome. Um, but is there nothing that could take place that would make him more vulnerable? I don't know the answer to that. I, I don't know the answer to that. Bennett, I appreciate that he says Bennett's vulnerable. Um, look, the people here on the wall have been you know, re- a ton just during our last little break here where people are like, oh, that interview was good. It was depressing to me. Here's people talking about the trans issue. Um, there needs to be a trans division for sports. I was intrigued by... Uh, Ted's comments, because as Ted said, he has been fighting for decades for LGBTQ plus or whatever they're calling it uh, issues in his life. And they matter for for obvious reasons. Um, But even Ted thinks this whole thing is damaging to the broader discussion of trans rights and trans acceptance. And he talked about the polling plummets into the 30s when you talk about trans kids in sports. And so here's a texture that says, 
Uh, great show, George, as far as trans and sports, there needs to be a trans division. And here's another one. Well, this transgender crap is a slap in my face being a woman born with a uterus. Uh, in- interesting question. Uh, and there's someone else that texted in. And I asked for clarification, haven't heard back, handicap question mark. I don't think we can start calling it a handicap or anything like that. Um, I'm interested in your input on this here. What what should we be doing with the trans athletics thing? And does it sour you on the whole issue of transgender or were you already there? Is there any room for someone to be empathetic and respectful of a transgender person, but still say, I don't want you competing against my girl in field hockey? 303-696-1971, George Brockler, filling in for the great Pitter Boyles. It's Pedro in Spanish, 710 KUS. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 